Well, like we like to say here at Calvary, let's go ahead and grab our Bibles. And this morning, I'd like to have you turn to Ezekiel chapter 38, if you will. Ezekiel chapter 38. We're going to take a pause from our study of the book of Revelation. And of course, within the book of Revelation, we are looking at events that will take place in the last days prior to the coming of Jesus Christ. However, though, all throughout the Bible, there are prophecies describing events that will take place in the last days. They're not solely contained in the book of Revelation. And during this series in Revelation, we have taken uh, times to stop and to take a look around at our world and to compare what's happening in our world today with what the Bible said would happen in the last days. And these segments are called, What in the World is Going On? Taking a pause, looking around, and trying to ascertain, are we truly in the last days? And in that discussion, I'd like to take you back to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 38. But before we get there, I'd like you to turn also to 2 Peter, chapter 1. God has given us prophecy for a very specific reason. Actually, two reasons. The first reason is to know that He is God. He has given us prophecy that we may know that He is God. And number two, He has given us prophecy that we may know that the book that we hold on our lap, the Bible, is truly the Word of God. Okay? And so I'd like to read what Peter wrote in his last letter before, of course, he went to his death. Peter was martyred for the faith. And picking it up in verse 16 of chapter 1 of 2 Peter. Peter states, he says, We did not follow cunning devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ but were eyewitnesses of his majesties. We sought for ourselves, he says. For he received from God the Father the honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That took place at Jesus' baptism. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Now, also at the Mount of Transfiguration, again, God the Father confirmed that this was his Son. But then Peter writes in verse 19, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. What Peter is saying there is this. Yes, we had the opportunity to see Christ with our own eyes. We heard the voice of God the Father declaring that Jesus was his only begotten son. 
However, though, you have the prophetic word confirmed. The 333 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in his first coming will be matched by the over 600 prophecies of his second coming. Meaning that our eyewitness account of Jesus is easily paralleled to the confirmation of various prophecies throughout the Bible that Jesus fulfilled. Meaning that you can know that he is God and that you can know that this is truly the word of God. And this is why we study prophecy here. If you were to shake out the Bible, it has been well said that at least one-third of the entire content of the Bible is biblical prophecy. God telling us beforehand what would take place, either that being of his uh, son's first coming, Jesus, uh, or the second coming, which we believe that is right around the corner. And so as we look at Ezekiel 38, this morning we are going to take a look at a prophecy given over 2,000 years ago that will be fulfilled in the latter times, the last days. And let me sum it up for you before we get into its detail. Ezekiel 38 is God revealing to the prophet Ezekiel that in the last days, a group of nations will come against the nation of Israel, appearing to overwhelm them, but in the end, Israel will defeat them. That's it in a nutshell. But the Bible doesn't leave it there. The Bible specifies which nations will come against the nation of Israel at that time. Now, Ezekiel uses the names of those regions that were familiar to him in his day. Looking at a map of the area that he is speaking of and the various regions that he is giving us, we today can see the parallel and what those areas or nations are called today. So though we are given their names back at the time of Ezekiel, we look forward, since this prophecy will be fulfilled in the future, and look at what those regions of the world are called today and what countries those are today to see if there is a correlation between the two. Do we see evidence of these nations coming together as a coalition of nations in and of themselves and then realize that eventually that coalition will be turned by God to invade Israel? Now, what purpose would they invade Israel for? It seems to be economic reasons. That there's something in Israel that these nations desire. And because of that, God draws them into this conflict. This is a work of God, and it is to show himself strong, and it is also to call his people Israel back to their nation. Okay? Today we see developments in our world like we have never seen before. And this morning I hope to show you that we have a new commonality amongst the nations mentioned here in this passage that would unite them 
and eventually, therefore, being drawn into a conflict with Israel. Now, God says that he will defeat them. And it will be a testimony to all the world that he is God. But are we seeing this coalition of nations building today? I think we are. And it's something that two years ago we wouldn't have seen because it didn't exist. But today it does exist. And this is how fast things can change. Let us begin by looking at Ezekiel 38, by reading it together, to give us some familiarity with this passage. Again, it is a prophecy given in the Bible concerning the last days. In verse 1, Now the word of the Lord came to me, that is Ezekiel, saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubalt, and prophesy against him. And say, thus says the Lord, God, behold, I am against you, O Gog, prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. I will turn you around and put hooks into your jaws and lead you out with all your armies, horses, horsemen, and all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Now Persia... Ethiopia and Libya are with them, and all with shields and helmets. Gomer and all of its troops in the house of uh, Togomar from the far north with all of its troops, many people are with you. Prepare yourself and be ready, you and all your companies that are gathered about you, and be a guard for them." After many days you will be visited. In the latter years you will come into the land of those brought back from the sword and gathered from many peoples on the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate. They were brought out of the nations, and now all of them dwell safely. You will ascend, coming like a storm, covering the land like a cloud, you and all your troops and many people with you. Thus says the Lord God, on that day it shall come to pass that the uh, thoughts will arise in your mind and you will make an evil plan. You will say, I will go up against the land of unwalled villages. I will go to a peaceful people who dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates. To take plunder, And to take booty, that word just kills me, to stretch out your hand against the waste places that are again inhabited, against a people gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods who dwell in the midst of the land. Sheba and Dedan, the merchants of Tarshish, and all their young lions will say to you, have you come to take plunder? Have you gathered your army to take booty, to uh, carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, to take great plunder? Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to God, thus says the Lord God, on that day, when my people Israel dwell safely, you will not know it. Will you not know it? Then you will come from your place out of the far north, and you of many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great company and mighty army. 
You will come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land. It will be uh, in the latter days that I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me. When I am hallowed in you, O Gog, before their eyes. Thus says the Lord God, are you he whom I spoke in the former days by my servants, the prophets of Israel, who prophesied for years in those days that I would bring you against them? Pretty self-explanatory, isn't it? Okay. So we have this prophecy. Now, of course, the names mentioned in here probably don't mean anything to you. If you were to take a globe of the world as it is today, you wouldn't find many of these names. Some you would, but many of them you wouldn't. So looking at those regions and seeing how they are named today will give us an understanding of the nations that come together under the leadership of one specific, Gog of the land of Magog. Okay, who is Gog of the land of Magog? He is the leader of the land of Magog, okay? So this morning, let us take a look and see what these nations mean to, for us today and see if there's any correlation between what's happening today and what was prophesied then. Verse 1, now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog. He is an individual. This is a name of the land of Magog, prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubalt, and prophesy against him. There is a grammatical concern here that I want to bring to your attention. The word Rosh in our English Bibles is not a translation of a Hebrew word. It is actually a transliteration. Rosh is actually a Hebrew word brought into English, okay? Now, in the New King James, King James versions of the Bible, it would appear to be a place. It appears to be a name, a proper noun. But in the original Hebrew, it's actually an adjective. And it should read this, Gog of the land of Magog, chief prince... Because that's what the word means. Rosh means chief, head of, okay? And he is head of Meshach and Tubalt. Meaning that Gog will be the leader of the primary nation, Magog, that these other nations are following into this event. Chief priest, that's what is being said here. Rosh, again, is a Hebrew word transliterated into English, which means simply chief. Meshach and Tubal represent the current area of Turkey in the world today. Okay? So who is this nation, Gog and Magog? Well, we have a limited amount of time, so I'll just sum it up for you today. If you were to look on a map today, the land of Magog is the current land of Russia. Gog is the leader of the land of Magog. And they will be the primary nation at the center of this coalition 
leading nations such as Turkey into this event. Okay? In verses 5 and 6, if you look there with me, other nations join them. Persia, which is the nation of Iran today, Ethiopia, which is, of course, still in the land of Ethiopia, and Libya, which is still a nation today, are with them, all of them with shields and helmet. These are further nations that will join Magog, Russia, under the leadership of Russia, into this conflict with Israel, okay? And then further nations are mentioned here in verse 6. Gomer and all of its troops. Now, for years, prophecy scholars believe Gomer, because of the familiarity of the word to the word Germany, represented Germany. We now know that not to be true. Gomer, if it is the region just south of the Black Sea, Gomer would represent Turkey again. But there is a possibility that it also includes the region north of the Black Sea. Does anybody know what nation is north of the Black Sea just above Turkey? Ukraine. Very interesting. Very interesting. Togoma is the modern-day area of Syria. And from the far north and all of its troops, many people are with you. Okay? So we have this coalition of nations coming together with the me I'm sorry, Magog, led by Gog, the leader of Gog. So the painting that we're painting here, the picture that we're painting here, is a group of nations led by Russia the leader of Russia, now we don't know if this will be Vladimir Putin or someone else in the near future. I don't think Putin's ever going to lose again, that's just me personally. Leading Russia with these other nations against the nation of Israel. It's clearly notated there that it is Israel that we are speaking of. It describes Israel in a state of peace and security. And that language in Hebrew would, would mean that they have sovereign claim to their land, number one, and recognized by the world. It also means that they have the ability to defend themselves according to the world's perspective. It also means that they appear to be under some kind of treaty that allows them to live peacefully and securely in their nation. Now that would be con uh, consistent with the book of Daniel that speaks about the Antichrist who signs a treaty with Israel. Many believe that that treaty will allow them to build the third temple, the temple that we are waiting to be built in Israel. And during this time of peace, Russia and these following nations will come against them only to be repelled by them and demonstrating that God is truly God. Now, when will this take place? Well, the Bible is clear. The Bible is clear. It'll happen in the latter times, the last days, before the coming of Jesus Christ.
Many scholars, again, believe that the cohesiveness of these nations with Russia was due to the fact that most of them were Muslim and Islamic by, na by uh, nation, national identity. And of course, there's been great antagonism between the Islamic community and Judaism. We know that. And that may very well play a role in this event. But notice with me something that's always bothered me about that, that if that is the sole purpose of bringing them against the nation of Israel, simply because they are Islamic, why then does it talk about economics? And again, I'm going to say that favorite word, booty. It talks about economics being the driving catalyst even the nations outside who are witnessing and watching this event take place say, what are you going in for? What do you want to take? How do you want to profit by this? Which I think sets the stage for a very interesting consideration. And that is, number one, let's eliminate the idea in the past, from this point all the way back to the time that Ezekiel wrote this, this event hasn't even closely come to fulfillment. Nothing like this has happened in history. So it's still an event that we are waiting for. It's still on the horizon. Some believe that this is referring to the Battle of Armageddon. Some believe that this will happen at the end of the Millennial Kingdom because in the book of Revelation, Gog and Magog are mentioned again. However, though, there is a difference between this occurrence and that occurrence. And that is, this occurrence is to draw people back to the nation of Israel, his people, and in that occurrence, in Revelation at the end of the Millennial, people are already dwelling safely in the nation of Israel. It is most likely that this event will take place just before or just after the rapture of the church where God removes his people. This event will take place after Israel signs the treaty in which they sign, allowing them that safety or that appearance of safety. And then this will occur. The Bible also says clearly that it is God bringing these nations against his and will stand up for them and defeat them. Now, in Ezekiel 39.9, verse should be on the screen behind me, there's an interesting verse that says that after this battle occurs, notice that Israel is able to use the weapons and survive off of them for seven years. Then those who dwell in the city of Israel will go out and set on fire and burn the weapons, both shields and bucklers, bows and arrows, the javelins, the spears, and they will make fires with them for seven years. Well, this doesn't happen at the end of the millennial because the new heavens and the new earth then are ushered in by Christ. At the battle of Armageddon, this doesn't occur. So this has to be a separate event. And again, it would be appropriate then to say, oh, seven years. Well, how long is the tribulation period? Seven years. Seeing all of this come together, I believe that the event will take place after 
the rapture of the church, the rise of the Antichrist, and then God will lead them into this battle, this conflict, as a testimony of who he is drawing the people back to the nation of Israel. Now, if you go back to Ezekiel 38, verse 13, it says here that Sheba and Dan, this is Saudi Arabia, the merchants of Tarshish, some scholars have done some great work to show that this is the region of Spain. Tarshish, though, could also be because of the manner in which it was inhabited at the day of Ezekiel, Tarshish could represent the European nations. And all of their young lions will say to you, meaning the offspring of these various nations, which may include the United States, notice here, have you come to take plunder? Have you gathered your army to take booty? To carry away silver and gold? To take away livestock and goods? To take great plunder. All of this is for economic profit. Each and every occurrence. From our perspective, it would appear that Russia will lead these nations in for economic purposes. Okay? And God says that this was prophesied in Ezekiel 38, 17. Thus says the Lord God, Are you he of whom I have spoken in former days by my servants, the prophets of Israel? namely Joel and Zephaniah, who prophesied for years in those days that I would bring you against them. So this is an event that is meant to be well anticipated by the nation of Israel. And ultimately, if you read then into uh, the rest of Ezekiel 38, which I would encourage you to do after our time together, and Ezekiel 39, you see that God defeats these nations that come against Israel. Now I know we went quickly. I wanted to give you a thumbnail, if I could, of these events. But fast-forwarding today to today, are we seeing something occur in our land that would, uh, in our time, excuse me, that would allow for such a scenario to play out? And I believe that we are seeing it come together today. An economic purpose for collaboration between these various nations. I believe that what we are seeing is the formation of a coalition of nations around the world for the purpose of economic advance. We know these nations to be the BRICS nations. BRICS meaning... Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. You may have heard of the BRICS nations. Now, in actuality, they began their formation in the early 2000, around 2001, 2002. And it started out with Brazil, Russia, India, and China. In 2010, South Africa joined the coalition of BRICS nations. Well, on August 24th of this year, six further nations joined the BRICS nations, several of them mentioned here in the prophecy of Ezekiel, giving us an economic reason for their cooperation. The formation of the nations, of these BRICS nations, were for the sole purpose 
of resisting the edicts and the dictates of the G7. The BRICS nations no longer want to be subjected to Western control. They do not believe that the Western nations, those of the United States, Australia, of course, New Zealand, Europe, etc., are ones that they can follow any longer economically. One advantage that the United States has had now, since the dollar has been the reserve currency of the world, is that we, for political purposes, have been able to engage in sanctions against nations in whose behavior we don't approve of. Or levying sanctions against nations that we want to see go in a different direction, more favorable to the United States. Of course, Russia, China, India have been subjected to this because the dollar is the reserve currency. We saw that after the invasion of Ukraine, the United States and the Western nations responded with a series of sanctions against Russia that I can say with confidence now have completely backfired. It was meant to cripple the ruby. It was meant, or the ruble, it was meant to cripple the ruble, and yet it bolstered it. All we did was cripple the European nations because their energy costs got so exorbitant because they were getting their energy, specifically their natural gas, from Russia. I mean, you can't make this stuff up if you tried. Because of these sanctions, the unity amongst the BRICS nations accelerated. The world saw that these sanctions could be placed on any nation at any time by the West. And now they want to set themselves free from the dollar. Right now, one of the main objectives of the BRICS nations is to create a currency that isn't a fiat currency. Now, what do I mean by fiat currency? We all know that if we went to our wallets and we pulled out a do- thank God I had a dollar, we pulled out a dollar, we all know that there is nothing behind this, right? Since 1971, Nixon took us off the gold standard. There isn't a dollar's worth of gold behind this anymore. So now we are simply the reserve currency due to confidence in our nation, the strength of our nation. But over the last three years, we have seen the world look at us And I have been told by people outside the United States directly that the world is laughing at us now. As we debate what is a woman, the nations around the world continue to strengthen themselves. The last three years have been a tragic failure. And I hope we all remember that as we get closer to November 2024. Now, The BRICS nations see the weakening of America. We have a huge liability, and that is $32 trillion worth of debt. Let that sink in for a minute. Trillion. $32 trillion. And we are asking the world to have confidence in the U.S. dollar. 
Well, the BRICS nations see a moment of opportunity. And what they have done is created a gold-backed, that's in their process of doing, a gold-backed currency. For the last three, four, five years, Russia, China, India, they have been stocking gold like never before. They are coming together because they want to challenge the dollar. Now, just a year ago, we were told by our mainstream media that this would never happen. Now the mainstream media is now starting to report, could the BRICS nation de-dollarize the world? Okay? This is serious. This is one of the subjects that our current political administration doesn't want you to focus on. And so they keep us distracted with all of these other things. Worrying about what star is divorcing and what star is getting married, etc. The Barbie movie, really? The Barbie movie? While the world is changing around us like never before. In 2001, an economist, Jim O'Neill, a famous economist from Goldman Sachs, described the BRICS nations, this is in 2001, as the fastest growing economies that he has ever seen and predicted back then, collectively, they will dominate the global economics by 2050. That has been sped up greatly. The BRICS nations currently, before the addition of the six nations just last month, represent 42% of the world's population. 42%, okay? They have a combined GDP of $28 trillion. That is 27% of the world's GDP. This is before the addition of the six nations. Today, the United States of America has $25 trillion. This year, maybe $26 trillion. Now, please remember, our gross domestic product is $26 trillion, but our debt is $32 trillion. Now, any other company in the world whose, profit, whose you know, revenue is 26 and debt is 32, what would you say about that company? The only reason we can live in such debt is because we are the reserve currency. If they succeed in de-dollarizing the world, the United States will fall to its knees under the weight of the pressure of the debt. And as I had said, they are currently in the process of creating a gold-backed security. On August 24th, the BRICS nations added six further nations. The UAE, with a GDP of $507 billion. Argentina, a GDP of $633 billion. Egypt, $477 billion. Ethiopia, this is what caught my attention. Ethiopia's joining with Russia coming against Israel, 127 billion. But we're going to talk about Ethiopia because they have something else. Iran, 38. This is Persia, is now a BRICS nation, 388 billion in GDP. Now here's the kicker: Saudi Arabia has joined the BRICS nations, 1.1 trillion in GDP. Now, some of you weren't born when this happened, but many historians, Victor Davis Hansen as being one of them, believes that the whole reason 
for 9-11 and the Iraq war and Afghanistan was due to the fact that the United States sent troops into Saudi Arabia to protect the oil that was there for United States interests. Bin Laden actually came out and said and rebuked Saudi Arabia for doing so. Saudi Arabia is saying, that's it, we're done with the West. Now what's scary is that oil today is traded on what's known as the petrodollar. Again, giving the United States an advantage over every nation of the world. Saudi Arabia, in whom we placed troops to defend just 20 some years ago, is now a BRICS nation. Okay? This adds $3.2 trillion to their GDP, the BRICS nations, coming to a total of $31.2 trillion. And here's the kicker. They don't have the debt that we have. Okay? Now, did the BRICS nations allow for these six simply for the addition of their GDP? I don't think so. When you examine these nations, these nations make up 43% of the total oil supply in the world. 43%. But what about Ethiopia? Now, that's a strange one. They don't have a very high GDP. They have great poverty in Ethiopia. They have for decades. What is so attractive? Why would they allow Ethiopia into the BRICS nations? Well, because they have something in Ethiopia that they haven't been able to uh, obtain as of yet, and that is gold. That is gold. And what do they need for their currency? Gold. Now, how does this play out in our link to Ezekiel 38? Magog, Russia, a BRICS nation. Persia, Iran, a BRICS nation. Ethiopia, a BRICS nation. Then we have Libya, Syria, and Turkey. Okay? And then we have China, a BRICS nation. And in Revelation 9.16, it is China that I believe comes from the east to war against the Antichrist at that final battle that we know as Armageddon. Now, the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million, and I heard the number of them. China boasts of their ability to bring about 200 million soldiers. This would lay the foundation for the economic pursuit. As the... Six nations were introduced. The headline read, and I think we have a picture of it, that six nations are joining the financial block of BRICS. This is all about finance, economics. We know ultimately that the Antichrist will try to control economics through a mark that individuals will receive. But notice with me in Ezekiel 38, verses 10 through 12, in verse 12, again, the reason that God brought them into the nation of Israel is to take plunder and to take booty, to stretch out your hand against the waste places that are again inhabited, again to people gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods and dwell in the midst of the land. 
in Ezekiel 38, 13. Sheba and Dan, the merchants of Tarshish, and all the young lions will say to you, Have you come to take plunder? Have you gathered your armies to take booty, to carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, to take away great plunder? Israel is one of the greatest natural resource epicenters in the Middle East. We know they have oil. We know they have precious stones, precious metals. And it could very well be the catalyst drawing these nations in. Now you may be asking, what about the Abraham Accords? Yes, President Trump started the process and Israel has enjoyed commerce and economic exchange with various nations around them. But eventually these nations will come against the nation of Israel. So what I would do is encourage you to keep up on the happenings of the BRICS nations. I would encourage you to watch their policies concerning the nation of Israel. I would encourage you to watch how BRICS will now uh, interact in the UN because they are becoming uh, formidable. Now I know that right now China's in trouble. Their economy is plunging. We are looking at one of the greatest housing disasters in all of history occurring in China. Evergrande has filed for bankruptcy. And this could be the catalyst that will pull the nations around the world, as the United States was in 2008, to bring us into another great financial recession. But ultimately, ultimately they still have a role to play in the world. For even Europe will stand back and ask Russia, what are you guys doing? Now, it's interesting that if Tarshish is a representation of Europe, they don't seem to be in a position to stop Russia from what they're doing. They have become irrelevant. Interesting consideration to keep in mind. I believe the BRICS nation is, nations coming together is one of the most interesting geopolitical development that we have ever, I've ever seen in my lifetime. Some go as far as to say that the attention, the superpower status of the United States and the dominance of the West is fading and is moving to the East. And the East, once again, will be the epicenter of the world. Stay tuned next time. Same bat time, same bat channel to see what happens next. Again, we read these things saying, look, 2,000 years ago these things were written and it looks like they're coming to pass in our day. The Bible is truly the Word of God for He is God. I leave you with this verse in closing. In Matthew 16, verses 1 through 3, Then the Pharisees and Sadducees came, that is to Jesus, and testing Him asked that He would show them a sign from heaven. And he answered and said to them, What it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. Truly, 
the signs of the time, I believe, are indicating that the return of Christ is sooner than later. The world is changing like never before. And we who study God's word, not through sensationalism, but through objectivity, must look at these events and say, do they, do they work in the grand scheme of biblical prophecy? The world shook as Israel became a nation in 1947 again. In 1967, the world shook again prophetically because Israel took Jerusalem back, just as God said they would in Ezekiel 36. Now, we see nations aligning financially for the purpose of uniting together to make a more strong economic band between them. And these are some of the nations mentioned in Ezekiel 38. I think that's more than just mere coincidence, don't you? I think everything's coming together just as God said it would. Now, we as Christians today, we need to surrender to our Lord. We need to walk in holiness as John had encouraged us. We need to be lights in the darkness. We need to be taking the gospel into all the world. We need to be shouting from the mountaintops, Jesus is King. And in and through Him and Him alone can one escape the events that are soon to take place and ultimately be spared from the wrath of God Himself. These are serious times. We have no more time to be lackadaisical. We have no more time to be uh, you know, involved in the things of this world and the bondages of this world. It's time now that we stand up surrendering our lives to Christ, laying ourselves down as living sacrifices and say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Because before we know it, that trumpet will sound and Christ will gather his church and then the world will be plunged into a period of time like never seen before. I don't know about you, but I hope to see everyone go with us when that trumpet sounds. And they can only do that in and through Jesus. Amen?